hello, everybody. I'm Bob Keezer. This is the Son of Man, Urantia Project. Today's episode is chapter 34, Fleeing Through Northern Galilee. Jesus and the 24 apostles and evangelists beached their boats near Caressa and then trekked north to the beautiful park south of Bethsaida Julius to camp for the night. After supper, Jesus gathered everyone around to discuss his plans for their trip through Batania and northern Galilee to the Phoenician coast. Why do the heathen rage? When they were all settled, Jesus said, You should all remember what the psalmist said of these times, saying, Why do the heathen in other words, those people who do not know God, rage and hopelessly plot with the people. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his followers, saying, Let us break the bonds of mercy in pieces, and let us cast away the cords of love. Today you will see this come true before your eyes. But you will not see the rest of the psalmist's prophecy fulfilled because he had wrong ideas about the Son of Man and his mission on earth. My kingdom is founded on love, broadcast in mercy, and created by unselfish service. My Father does not sit in heaven laughing in contempt at those who do not know God. He is greatly displeased, but he is not angry. The promise is true that the Son will have these so-called heathen, in reality his untaught and unknowing members of the kingdom, for an inheritance. And I will receive these Gentiles with open arms of warmth and mercy. All of this loving kindness will be showed to the so-called heathen, even though the record unfortunately declares that the triumphant son will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The psalmist goaded you to serve the Lord with fear. I ask you to enter into the glorious privilege of divine sonship by faith. He commanded you to rejoice with trembling. I tell you to rejoice with assurance. He says, kiss the son in case he gets angry and you die when his anger is lit. But you who have lived with me well know that anger is not a part of creating the kingdom of heaven in the hearts of men. But the psalmist did glimpse the truth when, in finishing this advice, he said, blessed are they who put their trust in this son. Jesus continued to teach the 24, saying, The godless are not without excuse when they explode in anger at us. Because their outlook is small and narrow, they are able to strongly focus their energies. Their goal is close and more or less visible, and because of this, they are fearless and effective. You, who claim to be in the kingdom of heaven, 
are altogether too fickle in how you teach. The heathen aim straight for their goals, where you are constantly yearning. If you want to enter the kingdom, why not take it by spiritual assault, just like the heathen lay siege to a city? You are hardly worthy to be in the kingdom when all you do is regret the past, whine over the present, and yearn for the future. Why did a heathen rage? Because they do not know the truth. Why do you waste away in pointless yearning? Because you do not obey the truth. Quit your useless hoping and go forth bravely doing what needs to be done to establish the kingdom. Do not become one-sided and over-specialized. The Pharisees, who want to destroy us, really do think that they are doing God's service. They have become so narrow-minded by tradition that they are blinded by prejudice and hardened by fear. Consider the Greeks who have a science without religion, while the Jews have a religion without science. And when men become so misled that they only accept a narrow and confused remnant of the truth, their only hope to be saved is to learn and coordinate greater truth. Let me emphasize this eternal truth. If you are able to coordinate the truth and learn to demonstrate in your lives this beautiful wholeness of righteousness, your fellow men who want what you have will come looking for you. The degree to which people seeking the truth are drawn to you represents the level of your righteousness. The amount to which you have to go to them to get your message across measures in a way your failure to live a whole and righteous life. The Evangelist in Chorazin On Monday morning, May 23rd, Jesus told Peter to take the twelve evangelists and go over to Chorazin. Jesus and the other eleven apostles then left for Caesarea Philippi. They followed the Jordan to the Damascus-Capernaum Road, and then they continued northeast on it until they took the junction to Caesarea Philippi, arriving the next afternoon, Tuesday, May 24th. They stayed there and taught for two weeks. Meanwhile, Peter and the evangelist were facing the most unproductive time of their careers, preaching the gospel in Chorazin. Peter had told the twelve evangelists to focus their preaching more on the spiritual, spiritual truths of the kingdom and to say less about healing and things physical. Because of this, other than a small but earnest group of believers, no one was really interested in what they had to say. Nowhere else in Galilee did they bring in so few new converts. For these twelve men of God, these two weeks were nothing less than a baptism by fire. It was their most trying time up to this point in their careers. 
but with them not having the satisfaction of winning new souls for the kingdom, each of them was better able to take stock of his own soul and its spiritual progress. On Tuesday, June 7th, since no one else was showing interest in the gospel, Peter called his group of evangelists together, and then everyone headed out for Caesarea Philippi. They arrived about noon and spent the entire evening talking about their experiences with the unbelievers in Chorazin. Jesus brought up the parable of the sower again and taught them on the meaning of apparent failure in life. At Caesarea Philippi During this two-week stay near Caesarea Philippi, Jesus didn't do any public work. The apostles, though, held many quiet meetings in the city during the evenings, and other believers came out to the camp to talk to Jesus. Again, there were very few new converts. Jesus and the apostles met every day, and they were now more aware that they were entering a new phase in spreading the gospel. They were starting to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but realizing the spiritual joy of accepting divine sonship. The stay at Caesarea Philippi tested the eleven apostles. They were depressed and missed Peter's enthusiasm. During this period in Jesus' career, it was a great challenge to believe in and follow him. While they made few converts these two weeks, they did learn a lot from their daily talks with Jesus. The apostles learned that the Jews were spiritually stagnant and dying because they had crystallized truth into a creed. In other words, when truth becomes a boundary line for self-righteous exclusiveness instead of a signpost for spiritual guidance, those teachings lose their creative life-giving power and ultimately become fossilized. The apostles were learning from Jesus to look at people, human personalities, in terms of their eternal possibilities. They learned that many people can be taught to love an unseen God by first learning to love their brothers that they can see. This understanding added new meaning to the idea of unselfish service for others. And Jesus is saying that, to the extent you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. One of the more important lessons while staying at Caesarea was about the origin of religious traditions and the grave danger of making non-sacred things like common ideas or everyday events sacred. They now knew that true religion was man's heartfelt loyalty to his highest convictions. Jesus warned his followers that if their religious desires were only for material things, that over time, their increasing knowledge of the natural world would gradually replace the supernatural origin of things and ultimately deprive them 
of their faith in God. But if their desires were based on those things spiritual, man's scientific progress could never disturb their faith in eternal divine realities. They learned that when religion is spiritually motivated, it makes life more worthwhile. Spirituality fills life with purpose. It dignifies life with divine values. And it inspires people to wonderful goals while comforting their souls with sustaining hope. True religion lessens the strain of existence. It releases faith, which promotes spiritual vitality and gives us the courage for daily living and unselfish service. Jesus repeatedly taught his apostles that no civilization could last if it lost the best of its religion. And he never grew tired of warning them about the great danger of putting religious symbols and ceremonies in the place of religious experience. Throughout his life, Jesus was intent on breaking people free from frozen religious traditions and showing them the liberties of divine sonship. On the way to Phoenicia, On Thursday morning, June 9th, David's messengers arrived and updated Jesus with news about the rest of the kingdom. Then, Jesus and the 24 with him left Caesarea Philippi and headed for the Phoenician coast. They took the route through Luz, going around the marsh country, passing the Magdala Mount Lebanon Trail, and then taking a road into Sidon. They arrived into Sidon. They arrived the next day, Friday afternoon. Near Luz, the crew took a break for lunch under an overhanging ledge of rock. They had just sat down to eat when Simon Peter asked Jesus, Master, since the Father in heaven knows all things, and since his spirit is our support in the establishment of the kingdom of heaven on earth, why is it that we flee from the threats of our enemies? Why do we refuse to confront the foes of truth? Before Jesus could respond, Thomas jumped in and said, Master, I would really like to know just what is wrong with the religion of our enemies in Jerusalem. What is the real difference between their religion and ours? Why is it that we are at such diversity of belief when we all profess to serve the same God? Jesus took this opportunity to give the apostles one of his most remarkable talks up to that point. He said, While I would not ignore Peter's question, knowing full well how easy it would be to misunderstand my reasons, my reasons for avoiding an open class, clash with the Jews at this time. Still, it will prove more helpful to all of you if I instead answer Thomas's question. And I will do that when you have all finished your lunch. The Talk on True Religion
The following summarizes the truths Jesus offered in this talk. While world religions come from two sources, natural and revealed by God, at any point in time, there will be three forms of religious devotion. One, or the first, primitive religion. The semi-natural and instinctive urge to fear mysterious energies and worship superior forces. Chiefly, a religion of physical nature, the religion of fear. Second, the religion of civilization. The advancing religious concepts and practices of races becoming more civilized. The religion of the mind. The intellectual religion of rule-based, established tradition. And third, true religion, the religion of revelation. The revelation of supernatural values, a partial insight into eternal realities, a glimpse of the goodness and beauty of the infinite character of the Father in heaven. This is the religion of the Spirit as demonstrated in human experience. Jesus refused to put down religions based on the physical senses and superstitious fear. But he did regret that so much of that primitive type of religion was still part of how the more intelligent race, races worship God. Jesus clearly pointed out that religion that is centered in the mind is ruled by whatever church is involved and that it is much different than religion that comes from the spirit, which is based only on that person's human experience. And then Jesus continued, making clear the following truths. Until the races on earth become more intelligent and civilized, we will continue to see childlike and superstitious ceremonies that make up primitive religions. Until more of humanity recognizes higher levels of spiritual experience, a lot of people will prefer to follow authoritarian religions where all they have to do is say that they agree, rather than embracing a spiritually original faith that requires the active participation of a person's mind and soul to meet the hard realities of life as a human being. For some people, traditional authoritarian religions are an easy way out to satisfy their spiritual longings. These faiths have set rules and beliefs that have been in place since they originated, and they provide a handy place for people to run to when they are worried afraid, or uncertain. And the only fee to enter these types of religions is simply accepting their beliefs. These types of people will be with us for a long time. 
But by choosing to follow a set religion made up of a bunch of rules and crystallized beliefs, they are destroying their self-respect and giving up their right to make their own decisions. They are surrendering their right to search for the truth, to experience the thrill of intellectual discovery, to explore their own religious experience, and to know the supreme satisfaction of spiritual faith overcoming intellectual doubt in the search for and the finding of God the Father. Spiritual religion requires love, faith, effort, loyalty, conflict, struggle, determination, and in the end, progress and the evolution of our soul. Authoritarian religions require little or none of that. Tradition is a safe and easy hiding place for scared and half-hearted souls who instinctively shy away from facing life. And then Jesus said, In Jerusalem, they have built an authoritarian religion, one based on their traditions and the prophets of old. It appeals mostly to people's minds. And now we are about to fight to the death against this religion because we are going to give people a new type of religion, one that reaches out to the divine spirit in the minds of all people and that gets those people's acceptance from them experiencing the fruits of the spirit that come forth in the lives of all true believers. Jesus then pointed at and called each of the 24 by name and said, And now, who wants to take the easy way of conforming to the fossilized religion defended by the Pharisees instead of suffering the difficulty and persecution that comes with declaring a new way of salvation and personally experiencing the eternal truths and supreme majesty of heaven. Are you soft, scared, and afraid to work? Do you not trust your Father? Are you afraid to trust your future to the God of truth? Will you fall back to taking the easy way of accepting traditional authority, or will you toughen up to go forward with me into the trouble and uncertainty of proclaiming the new truth, which is that the kingdom of heaven is inside all men's hearts. This was one of the few emotional appeals Jesus ever made to his followers. At that point, everyone stood up, and just as they were all about to declare their unanimous loyalty to Jesus, he raised his hand to stop them and said, Each of you, go off by yourself to be alone with your father. And when you have found the true, unemotional answer to my question, freely and boldly tell it to our father, whose infinite love is the spirit of our religion. For a while, 
Each of the 24 did as Jesus asked. They were all uplifted, inspired, and stirred by Jesus' words. But when Andrew gathered them all back together again, all Jesus said was, Let's hit the trail. We're going to Phoenicia to hang out for a while, and all of you need to pray that the Father transforms your emotions into greater spiritual loyalty and satisfying spiritual experiences. At first, as they walked down the road, everyone kept quiet. But soon, they began to loosen up, and by 3 o'clock, they needed to take a break. After coming to a halt, Peter went up to Jesus and said, Master, you have spoken to us the words of life and truth. We would like you to tell us more about these matters. The second talk on religion. And so, with everyone resting in the shade of the outside, Jesus said, You have all separated yourself from the others who want security and conformity and who are satisfied with a mental religion. You have left behind the certainty that they get from following their rules for the gifts of adventurous progressive faith. You have dared to go against the bondage of institutional religion and a traditional authority that is now thought to be the word of God. Yes, our father did speak through Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea, but it does not mean that he stopped bringing truth to the world. Our father is no respecter of races or of generations. The truth is not given to one age and then kept from another. Do not make the mistake of calling something human divine. And do not miss the truth that comes to you from other than traditional channels. I have urged you to be born again, to be spiritually reborn. I have brought you out of the darkness of authority and the laziness of tradition into the divine light of making for yourselves the greatest discovery that a human soul can experience, finding God for yourself, in yourself, and of yourself as a result of your own personal experience. And in this way, you go from life to death. Excuse me. And in this way, you go from death to life, from darkness to light, from traditional authority to actually knowing God, and from holding to a faith that you were taught to believe to embracing a new faith that you have earned from actual experience. And this is how you will progress from a mental religion imposed on you by your ancestors to creating in your souls a true and eternal religion based on spiritual experience. Your religion will change from just a belief in traditional authority to a living faith that allows you to know everything that represents the divine spirit of the Father. 
A religion based in the mind keeps you forever tied to the past, while that religion reborn of the spirit calls you forward forever into higher and more divine achievements based in spiritual ideals and eternal realities. While strict rule-based types of religions might give you a sense of security for the moment, that temporary peace of mind will cost you your spiritual freedom. My father does not expect you to force yourself to believe in things that are unholy, untruthful, or spiritually gross. Nor does he expect you to submit to your own sense of mercy, or excuse me, nor does he expect you to submit your own sense of mercy, truth, and justice to worn out religious rules and beliefs. But a religion based on spiritual values frees you to follow the truth wherever that spirit may lead you. And who knows? Maybe spirit has something to teach this generation that those in the past have refused to learn. Shame on those false religious teachers who would drag hungry souls back into the dim and distant past and leave them there to become afraid of every new discovery and anxious over every new revelation of truth. The prophet said, He whose mind stays on God will be kept in perfect peace. This prophet was not a mere believer in some rule-based religion. He was not just talking about God. He had actually discovered God. I am warning you not to always quote the old prophets or the heroes of Israel. Instead, go forth aspiring to become living prophets of the Most High and spiritual heroes of the coming kingdom. Yes, it is worthwhile to honor the God-knowing leaders of the past. But why should you have to sacrifice the greatest experience of your life, finding God for yourself and knowing Him in your souls, to do so? Every race on earth has its own worldview or beliefs about humanity's existence in the universe. Because of that, all rule-based mental types of religion will have to fall in line with those people's underlying beliefs about, reali about reality. And since the various cultures on earth all have different underlying beliefs about reality, they will never be able to bring together all of their different authoritarian types of religions. The realization of the brotherhood of humanity on earth can only happen through all of the world's rule-based religions falling under the umbrella of a spiritually-based religion. While we will all think and believe differently, all of us have been gifted with the same divine and eternal spirit. Our hope for bringing forth the brotherhood of humanity will happen as all of the different religions on the world become infused with the unifying force of the Spirit, and people are able to experience the dignity of their own spiritual of their own personal spirituality. Rule-based religions only divide men and set them against each other. 
religion based on the spirit over time draws men together and causes them to be more sympathetic with others. Authoritarian religions crystallize into lifeless creeds. They want to force all men to believe the same things, and that is impossible given the state of this world. Religion founded on the Spirit of God inside of us only requires that men come together based on having the same experience, the same insight and eternal destiny, regardless of them all having different beliefs. The religion of the Spirit increasingly leads a person to loving service for others and brings them the joy and liberty that comes from caring for their fellow man. But be careful, just in case any of you are looking down on Abraham's children because they have fallen on these evil days of traditional barrenness. Our ancestors dedicated themselves to the passionate search for God, and they found him like no other race of men have ever known him since the days of Adam. Who knew much of these things because he himself was also a son of God. My father has not failed to notice the long, untiring struggle of Israel ever since the days of Moses to find God and to know God. Many weary generations of Jews have continued to work, endure the suffering, and experience the sorrows of being despised and misunderstood, all in order to discover the truth about God. And even with all of the failures Israel has had, our fathers increasingly, from Moses to Amos to Isaiah, revealed to the whole world a clearer and more truthful picture of the eternal God. And this is how the way was prepared for the still greater revelation of the Father that you have been called to share. Never forget that there is only one adventure that is more thrilling than trying to know the will of God, and that is honestly trying to do that divine will. And do not forget that the will of God can be done in any job on earth. People are called to many different professions. For those people who are spirit-led, in other words, who are bound to the truth, dignified by love, dominated by mercy, and restrained by fairness, all things in their lives are sacred. The spirit that my Father and I will send into the world is not only the spirit of truth, but also the spirit of idealistic beauty. You have to stop looking for the word of God in the old scriptures. From here on out, those people who are born of the Spirit of God will know the Word of God regardless of where it comes from. Just because something comes to the earth through human channels does not mean that it is not divine truth. Many of your friends accept God in theory, but they do not spiritually realize God. 
And that is why I keep telling you that the kingdom of heaven is best entered with the spiritual attitude of a sincere child. And this does not mean being ignorant or mentally immature. It means taking on the spiritual simplicity of an easy-believing and fully trusting little one. It is not that important to know the fact of God as it is to continually grow in your ability to feel the presence of God. As you begin to find God in your own soul, you will start to see Him in other people's souls and eventually in all the creatures and creations of a mighty universe. But tell me, what chance does our Father have to show Himself in souls to be a God of supreme loyalties and divine ideals when people give little thought or no time to thinking about these eternal realities? While the mind is not the seat of our spiritual nature, It is definitely the gateway to it. Do not make the mistake of trying to prove to other men that you have found God. You cannot do that. But there are two positive and powerful ways to show that you in fact know God. They are 1. The fruits of the Spirit of God showing forth in your everyday life. And two, that because of your felt sense of an eternal God, your entire life plan proves that you have not held back risking everything that you are and that you have to take on the great adventure of finding Him. Now, know this. My Father will always respond to even the faintest flicker of faith. He knows all about the physical and superstitious tendencies of primitive men. And with those honest but scared souls whose faith is so weak that it amounts to little more than following the rules of some religion, our Father will still honor and foster those feeble attempts to know Him. But those of you who have been called out of the darkness and into the light are expected to believe with a whole heart and let your faith dominate your body, mind, and spirit. You are my apostles, and to you religion will not become a theological shelter where you can run and hide because you are afraid to face the rugged reality of spiritual progress and idealistic adventure. Instead, Your religion is enlisting in the eternal adventure of finding God and through your experience of sonship with God showing others that He has idealized, dignified, and spiritualized you. And when Jesus had finished speaking, He motioned to Andrew and said, pointing over toward Phoenicia, Let us be on our way. Okay, everyone, that's it for chapter 34, fleeing through northern Galilee. A few days we'll have up chapter 35. The stay at Tyre 
and Sidon. Defend liberty. Protect our kids. Find some way to serve man for the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here. <laughs>